Welcome back to the final episode for this season of Songs in the Key of Life, where each episode we spend time with a different person, any person from anywhere, to find out what are their top five songs of all time and why they've chosen them. Today's guest is a screenwriter, novelist, and script editor. Mira, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the obligatory question first up, because I feel like this list is, is a painting and you need to get to a point where you just stop and walk away from changing it again. Um, how hard was just five and, and how many darlings didn't make the cut? Well, actually it was really weird because when you first asked me to, to do it, I, I almost instantly came up with, with the list. Oh, wow. I, I, mean, it was, I, was, I was on holiday and I said to my partner, Anna, um, I've been asked to do, you know, invited to do this. And, and she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, shall I give them away now? Or, yeah, okay. So, so I said, well, I think it's got to be Nina Simone and Joni Mitchell and, well, you know, obviously the Smiths. And then <laughs> I went through that opera period, so I think there's got to be a Maria Callas there. Yeah. And, um, and then what was my fifth one? My God, I've even forgotten it. Of course, the go-betweens. So, so it was actually pretty easy and also almost immediately in my mind I worked out what the order was and it was really, a, it was really autobiographical. So it was really a chronology of, of events and things that had happened to me that made those, those bands and that music um, sort of significant and symbolic of something in my life. Choosing the actual tracks was more difficult yeah. and in a way I fudged it a bit because... I, I couldn't choose, so I, I made a few random choices. It was really the artists that, that you know, sort of were, were the important things for me. I mean, the, I love the tracks that I've chosen, yeah. but, but I wouldn't say necessarily that they were the absolutely all-time favourites. It's just too hard. Yes, well, you can't, you can't choose perhaps all-time favourites, but you're happy with the selection. I'm, I'm totally happy with the selection. Great. All right, well, let's kick off with the first one and, and sort of the story behind why it's the first, but, but why this artist as well. Okay, so Nina Simone, um, and the track I chose was I Ain't Got No Slash um, I Got Life. So it's a sort of a compilation, actually, or a mashup of two tracks that were... Uh, were in hair, in the musical hair. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, okay. Yeah, actually, I didn't even know that. I yeah. had to do a bit of research for this, and I discovered <laughs> that, that's, so that that was the case. Um, now, I, I chose Nina Simone because, honestly, I think she is... She's, I, I don't think I could... I couldn't... Well, obviously, I could live without Nina Simone in my life, but I'm not going to. Yes, um, and you don't want to. And I don't want to. Yeah. Um, I just think she is an enormous talent, was an enormous talent. Yeah. And probably one of the best interpreters of other people's songs ever. You yeah. know, she's just... And, and you only have to hear one word of a song that she's singing and you know it's her. Mm. It's um, the timbre in her voice as much as anything. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and the sort of, you know, the, the range that she's got in terms of the different kinds of songs that she sings and the emotions that they evoke... Um, I, I just think they're. Fa I, th I think she's fabulous, and um, and she's sort of been in my life for a long time because I first heard her music when I was um, at university in the early seventies. Yeah, and in fact, the 
I, I went to a Nina Simone concert Great. in about 1973. Where was it? Well, this is the interesting thing. <laughs> I went online to see if I could find where that concert was. I was yeah. thinking, was it, at, was it at Festival Hall? It might have been, although Festival Hall is a pretty big venue and I don't know how big Nina Simone was in the, in the early yeah. 70s. The St Kilda Crystal Ballroom, maybe? Well, maybe, but the interesting thing is I could not track it down yeah. and there's a reason for that, I think because this was the Nina Simone concert that Nina Simone came on, she was late right. and, and the audience began to get rather rowdy and there was a lot of slow clapping and calling out and feet banging. Eventually she came on and it was clear that she was in an absolute fury. So she berated the audience for being so rude um, and, I mean, we had been waiting for quite a long time. Yeah. To be fair, Nina. Yeah. To be fair. Um, she berated us and then, and then instead of settling down, and now I, I, I have to say that there might be other people listening to this who say, look, Mira, you've got this all wrong. But this is my memory. <laughs> it's your memory. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's your podcast. It's my podcast. That's right. So, so people, instead of sort of calming down and sort of being yeah. sensible, they, they, there was a bit more slow clapping and calling out. Well, she just said, that's it. She walked off. Oh. We all kind of sat there in a bit of stunned silence and then a bit more sort of rowdiness and whatever. And then gradually it became, we became aware of the fact that time was passing and she hadn't come back on. And obviously things were happening backstage. Yeah. Eventually someone from the backstage, you know, whatever, came out and said, Miss Simone will not be uh, proceeding with the concert. Didn't do the gig at all. Didn't do the gig at all. So I think that's why I couldn't find it online. Oh, yeah. Um, the lost concert. It's the lost concert. So, you know, and, and I do remember feeling really chastised and embarrassed and that really, uh, I, I, I can't remember if, the, I might be sort of manufacturing this now, but I think there was something for her about this white, privileged white crowd. A lot of us were sort of uni students yeah. and young. And she'd come all this way and, you know, we did not treat her with respect. So um, that was it. And, in fact, when you read more, and I've, and I've watched the, the, um, uh, the documentary on Nina Simone, you know, she was a really fiery, tricky sort yeah. of character. But um, I, I think we deserved to be sort of... I, I think probably we deserved what we got that night. And, um, did you get a refund? I don't think we got a refund, no. no. <laughs> okay. There was no refund. You saw her, yeah. she appeared. Yeah, briefly, and that was it. And that's what you paid yeah. for. Okay, great. But just to go back to the song, yeah. I, I think, you know, what's great about the song is it feels really part of the times. Um, and, you know, it came from here, so that's about 1968 or, or wherever. So I was mm. listening to it a bit later than that. But I think she gives it such a political edge. She um, does. And... And I really love the way it moves from sort of lack, you know, ain't got no, and all the things you ain't got, and then to sort of abundance, you know, that, that what she has got, her heart and her liver and, and all those different things. Yeah. Um, so it sort of goes from dark to light, from almost depression to joy. And it made me think about how that was a bit like her because actually she was bipolar, Right, and, okay. and that was something she only discovered in the 80s. And, and then she was able to get some treatment for it. But up until then, she, she just lived with it. Manage it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I really like that it's essentially a list and she's not interested in rhyme. Well, the lyrics don't care about rhyme. It's just... And it's quite 
dark, really, what, what all you haven't got. But she does it in such a positive way that when it flips to what you have got, it's just all about, I don't know, it felt like a, almost a, a song about creativity because you just whatever's within you, you can create stuff from that. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it, actually. Yeah. And then the way it sort of ends with, I got life, yeah. you know, and wow, it's sort of really joyful in the end. Totally. Um, yeah. Awesome. All right, track two, who have we got? Uh, Joni Mitchell, um, and I've chosen Court and Spark from the album Court and Spark. Yep. And again, I'd say that it's not necessarily my all-time favourite Joni song, but I really would have trouble picking a favourite because there's, uh, there's so many songs of hers that I really adore. Um, but I chose this one because it was the album that sort of uh, was prob- probably... I was aware of her before this, but that album came out in 1974 yep. and it was the first one that I played over and over again and really got to know her music. Um, and I was in my little sort of you know, music autobiography and autobiography of my life, I was living in London by then. I'd, yep. I'd, um, I'd gone to London and I was living in a squat in Fulham with a group of English people because I was in flight from everything Australian at that point. Okay, was, is this something we need to discuss or, or is just general that was um, the age you were at? Well, it was the age I was at and I, and I guess, you know, like, like you often do in your 20s, I, I kind of, I don't know that I said this to myself in so many words, but I was fleeing for, to, and to discover something better to, and, and really fleeing myself and, yeah. and forgot that, I was going to. So, you know, I got there, all the same problems were actually there, (laughs) all the same issues. um, But just a different currency. Just, yeah, exactly. But being in London, a place where nobody knew me and I had to make new friends and it was incredibly freeing. And also the other side of freedom is, is, is like you fall down a big black hole as well. So, it, it, it was both fabulous and awful, yep. which is really my 20s, I think. You know, or fabulously awful or awfully... No, not awfully fabulous. No. I don't think that, that's right. So, so one of the people in the house had bought um, Court and Spark and we just played it, you know, c- yeah. constantly. I, I think like so many of her songs, what I do love, you know, I love... I love the complexity of her her music yes. and the changes in. I'm not very technical about music. I don't can't speak about it technically, but she she seems to do all those. You tr- there's you a lot of vocal dexterity. Yeah, with, with, she just follows different intonations and and moves around. She doesn't keep to the same pattern. Absolutely, and yeah. and that and that's really fantastic. And and her songs really delve into deep emotions. I think you know both mm. both the the way they're structured, but also the lyrics. Absolutely. Um, uh, and so jealousy, heartbreak, love, betrayal, but also quite political at times. And, yep. and also I really like her wry and ironic take on, on things. Um, and, and in this one, because I was sort of looking at the lyrics, trying to work out what's going on, but it's like she's sort of having this maybe relationship with a drifter, but then she says, nah, I'm going to keep pressing on. I don't want to be tied down. It's that kind of free spirit spark. Again, a little bit um, creative in terms of I just I want to keep exploring. I want to keep exploring, which is something kind of 
charming about it as well. Yeah, and actually that, that's a thread in a number of her songs, okay. actually. But one of them, when I was thinking about, you know, thinking about her lyrics and I, and I thought of the, the first lines of a, a song on a different album um, and the song's called A Case of You and, and it, the, the lines are, just before our, our love got lost, you said, I'm as constant as a northern star. And I said, constantly in the darkness, where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar. I just think that's that sort of encapsulates yeah. so much, doesn't yeah. it? It's really quite funny. It's and great, and what a smackdown! Yeah, to, what a smackdown! Yeah. <laughs> There's no prisoners there. So yeah, I think I think Joni Mitchell is just fantastic, and I mean, I, I was in doing a little bit of research for this. I was just looking at the song lists, and I mean, she ha- she her creativity is just has been enormous. There yeah. are so many songs, and yeah. unlike. Nina Simone, who mainly, I think, pretty much always interpreted other people's songs. Joni's are pretty much all original. And, and I mean, her songs, like, I didn't really say this about Nina Simone, but, but the same, Nina, there are times I can listen to Nina Simone and honestly, it, it'll bring me to tears, yeah. you know. I'll really have a good old sob. Yeah. Um, and, and Joni maybe not quite so much, but boy, there's some poignancy in some of her songs that is so powerful, yes. you know, about moving on and yeah. what you leave behind or, you know, all of that kind of thing. And I'm very susceptible to that. Yeah, so. yeah, agreed. Excellent. All right. So we'll change your tack, come back home here now. Um, who's this band and the song? When I did, when I returned to Australia in about 1981, I ended up living in Brisbane for a while um, in a big old house that was about two doors down from the house memorialised in David Maloof's book, 12 Edmonston Street, which was, which was a, a book about the house that he grew up in. And actually it was a book I knew and yeah. so it was kind of extraordinary to end up in this enormous house that had been divided into two sort of almost two rentals but like multi-roomed rentals they 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 were it was enormous anyway so i moved into this house and on one side was a group of orange people of the followers of bhagwan shri rajneesh oh yes i was one of those oh (laughs) Tell, tell me more because i had come back from london via india where I'd been staying at the Rajneesh Ashram in Pune. Okay. I'd become a, a sannyasin, an orange person, um, in in London at the very end of my years in London. Yeah. And gone to Pune, and then was intending to go back to London, but I was completely broke by then. So I thought I'll come back to Australia for a couple of months, come yeah. make a bit of money, and go back. Because my intention was, I'm English now. I'm going to live in London forever. And are you going to be a writer at this point? Well, or? no, I was. On this weird orange people, okay, so sort on of that journey. spiritual journey, yeah. yeah, okay. I came back to Melbourne and felt terribly dislocated and mm. and restless. So I sort of drifted up to Brisbane. I, why? Don't ask me why. I don't know. That's all right. And ended up in in because you're Joni Mitchell essentially. Yeah, right? that's right. At that point, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Joni Mitchell gone a bit weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I ended up in this house and um, and. On the other side of the house, divided in two, and actually there was a sort of connecting door um, upstairs that led, and actually I think it had been sort of sort of um, locked shut, but we found a way to unlock that door. And so there was a connecting door. In that other side of the house, there were art students um, at whatever the art school was in Brisbane at the time. Right. That, you know, I can't remember. And a couple of those 
and, and some gay boys were, lived in that house as well. So I decided that actually I was drifting away from the orange people thing and I drifted into the other, into the house next, you know, into the other side of the house. Okay. Um, and I, I guess it was the beginning of the end of my Eastern spiritual journey and the beginning of my belated coming out. Okay. So... So that was a, a metaphorical but literal going from yeah, the other side. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. And it was also the first time that I heard about this band, The Go-Betweens, because one of the guys, I don't think it was the gay, one of the gay guys, could have been, who lived in the house, knew someone in the band. I presume he knew either Grant McLennan or um, yep. Robert Forster. Well, I didn't really connect with all of that very much, but... When Before Hollywood, the first one that I became aware of, came out, um, I remembered, and I was back in Melbourne by then, I remembered, ah, oh, the go-betweens, that's yeah. that Brisbane band. And I, I then connected with the music and, and, um, re- and, and started to buy, you know, I sort of bought all their albums that came out subsequently. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I just think they are that the Go Betweens and the Triffids were the two bands that absolutely got me. You know that I that I went, wow, there's this amazing music happening in 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 Australia because I missed all the all the most of the music of the '70s because yes. I was living in London, so I wasn't interested in Australia, anything to do with Australia. Yeah. Um, so, but those two bands that you mention um, are a bit more indie rock aren't yeah, they yeah definitely and, and, and sometimes not even rock there's just there's a bit more of a blend of genres through some of their tracks and songs yeah and there's an intellectual quality as well yeah. to the to the lyrics and and you know something sort of really fascinating going on and 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 of course the other thing that really attracted me to the go-betweens in you know in that middle period was that that they had two women in the band yeah. um the amazing lindy morrison and and the multi-talented um amanda brown and, and I think this song, Was There Anything I Could Do, I could have chosen all kinds, all, you, know, yeah. you know, but there's a terrific um, uh, violin um, solo by uh, Amanda Brown in the middle of that song. Yeah. Um, and that's fabulous and, and was so unusual. Yeah, again, takes yeah. it out of the traditional yeah. rock band and something more interesting, yeah. more different. Yeah. yeah. I still listen to the go-betweens a lot and, you know, it just... Apropos of my little guru story here, I did think it was quite apt, even though I hadn't even realised it until I re-looked at the lyrics. In the middle of that song, it's, there's the lines, she came down from the mountain, said goodbye to her guru, she went back to her room, lost herself in voodoo. So, well, that's that was, almost word yeah, for word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow, well, you had to choose that track. Yeah. I mean, they had that massive hit, Streets of Your Town. Yeah, and I almost chose that because it is a terrific song. Yes. Yeah. But I think this one is, yeah, I mean, probably less known, but still one of the hits and, and a great one as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so, everybody says this about the go-betweens. How did they not hit the big make time? It. How yeah. do they not make it? I, I don't know the answer to that, um, but what a fabulous band. And actually, Criv Stenders did a doco on them uh, a couple of years ago called Right Here. Yes. Um, that I saw at the Melbourne Film Festival, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was and also, the, they've just done, or Tate, Tate produced a, a doco on the Triffids. Well, actually, the lead singer, oh. Dave McComb. Oh, really? Which yeah. is meant to come out because COVID and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. probably out this year. Oh, well, can't wait to see that. Yeah. So you talked about the autobiographical, chronological order of these. 
Um, how, what, what did it make, what was it like recalling this, like the stories behind the music, like being forced to go back in time? How did that make you feel? Um, I was, yeah, I really liked doing that actually. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually writing my second novel at the moment and it's set in the London years. Okay. And it's fictional and it's getting more fictional by the minute. <laughs> um, but, but, so I've sort of been back in time a lot recently anyway. Yeah. Um, but doing this was, yeah, no, it was really great. It was, I really enjoyed it. And, and also thinking about the trickery of, of memory because, honestly, you know, there are things that I'm telling you that, it, it, you know, if there was someone there who could say, well, well I, I know everything about your life and I, you yeah. know, there, there'll be a lot of mistakes. I know but that. also that's only their version as well. Yeah, so that's who's true. who's to say that they had the, you know, the lock on truth? Yeah, yeah. But no, I've really, enjoy, I've really enjoyed it because, um, and it did make me remember a few things that I'd sort of forgotten about too. Like when I, when I first chose The Go-Betweens, I was sort of thinking, oh, well, what's the story about The Go-Betweens? You know, because in a way I had stories about everything else. Yeah. And I thought, oh, no, of course. That's when I was living in Brisbane. That's a huge yeah. part of your life. Yeah. 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 Amazing. All right. So we're going to take a big kind of turn here. Yeah, we are. Um, but a really good one. Um, and it's our first opera for the for the season. Um, so tell us about this track. Okay, so Visidate um, is an aria from Puccini's Tosca, and it's a very famous aria. Yep. Um, and I've chosen uh, the 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 version that I know best um, is the one where Maria Maria Callas is singing it. I was absolutely ignorant about opera um, until in my chronological sort of order. Yeah. Where are we now? We're, we're sort of in the... We're, we're about the same period as I got into the go-betweens, really, about the mid-80s. The mid yeah. Um, and I knew nothing about opera. But for some bizarre reason, I started listening to a, um, a show that was on ABC Radio, one of the ABC radios called, called Singers of Renown, um, presented by a guy called John Carger, who'd been doing it forever. Um, and I think it was because I was living in a shared house in Melbourne and someone else in the house used to listen to this on it. I think it was maybe even on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and so I just happened to listen to it. And I must have heard a couple of Puccini arias from, from Puccini operas. And, and I realised just how fabulous it was. Yeah. Just how listenable yeah. It was because before that, I'd always just thought, oh, opera, you know, it's yeah. people sort of screeching and, <laughs> and ridiculous stories. Yeah. And, you know, I was pretty ignorant. It's melodramatic. Yeah, melodramatic. Um, but it was really listening to the Puccini operas, Madame Butterfly, La Boheme, Turandot, Tosca, that, that and, I, and in a way, I've never really branched out all that much further. I mean, I can listen to Verdi and Bellini, and I mean, there are other, other yeah. you know, sort of mainstream operas you know, classical operas that I really like. Um, but it, it, was, it was really the Puccini operas that were most accessible to me and so fabulous. And, and of course, listening to Maria Callas and kind of then knowing a little bit about her own story yeah. and, and the drama of her life, I don't know, it was just really fell in love with, with it and was quite obsessed. And I actually used to go to the Victoria Opera and the Australian Opera um, I had a period around that time that I, where I went to the opera quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and, it, it, you know, it was really, yeah, it was fantastic. I've sort of, 
I've sort of stopped listening to opera, but in a way, coming back to it now, I'm feeling like I... You're ready to go I'm again. I'm ready to go again. Where does it take you? Because I, like, you go through the tracks and, yeah, yeah, and then, and then suddenly you, you're absolutely transported by her voice and the music and so forth. You, it's completely different. Kind of reminds me of that scene in um, Shawshank Redemption, right, where he's locked away and he plays a song from The Marriage of Figaro over the loudspeaker to all the prisoners and he has that spiel about being transported and for a mile they were free and for a minute that, you know. That's what it does. It just completely takes you away from whatever you're doing. Yeah, yeah, it it absolutely does. And in a way, because you don't have to understand the language, you know, because, well, I don't speak German or Italian or whatever, so, you you know, you get the gist of the story of Tosca pretty quickly and, and, you know, you understand what's going on, but... It, it just, it's pure emotion. And I think if you look at all the, all my favourites, if you like, they've all got an emotional quality to them. Yes. And, and certainly that's what hooked me into opera, I think. Yeah. Falling in love with the unbelievably romantic, tragic, intensely lyrical music yeah. is, is what I made a note to myself um, about. And that, that you don't have to understand the plot, the language or, or, or anything to be moved by yeah. arias like um, Visidate. I, I love the fact too that, that um, the fir- those first lines is of, of the aria, I lived, f- I lived for art, I lived for love. So that kind of is says that resonates, for you. that resonates as well yeah, yeah. I, I guess what you're saying ultimately is you need a to really for a song to really get its hook in it needs to have emotional connection as well as the sound but through the sound but also the lyrics and then the story is built around that perhaps yeah I think that's really true for me it's not to say that there isn't other kind of music that I connect to but but it, for me it is about it, is, it having an emotional response is yeah, yeah. It's absolutely crucial. Probably that's necessary as a writer of drama. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. It just what popped into my head then was um, a, a, a fun fact, if you like, which is <laughs> that which is that Freud hated music. Right. And I think for that reason, he didn't want to be, he didn't want his emotions to be stirred up yeah. or, or yep. you know, well, I'm making that bit up, but. No, but um, that, that, you know... But I always found that really fascinating. I think that's, that works. Yeah. And I always found it fascinating because, I mean, I, I think, you know, Freud was a genius and whatever other complicated things you might think about him, he, he changed the world in, in a lot of ways, changed the think, so much thinking about yeah. how, you know, who we are and how we, how we work, if you like, yeah. and that he, he, he hated music. Oh, anyway. Maybe it was an occupational hazard for him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've got one more track. Uh, I'm just going to let you go for this okay. one. I, I love this too. So, so, okay, so my last track is from The Smiths. Um, and it, it's, it, again, we're sort of in that mid-80s period. Okay. So it was a pretty big period for me in terms of my life and lots of different things happening for me in that time. Yeah. Because I had come out as gay in the early... After the after the um, after Brisbane after Brisbane, um, come back to Melbourne. Decided yes, I was a lesbian after yeah. years of sort of you know absolutely thinking it was the most ghastly fate of all, and you know <laughs> okay. suddenly it was fantastic. Right, <laughs> <Great. laughs> you know like turn on a dime as they say, and um, and so the Smiths were really happening at that time, yeah. and. Um, so first of all, a disclaimer, because if I'd known that Morrissey was going to turn into a right-wing lunatic and a racist, I mightn't have fallen so much in love with the Smiths. But 
back in the mid-80s, we didn't know that. Yeah. And actually the band seemed to me to be wonderfully original and really unlike anything I'd actually heard before. So I was absolutely hooked. Yeah. Um, so I was introduced to the Smiths by someone I was working with at Brunswick Council where um, I was working in the community services department. It was a great time to be working in Brunswick. It was a left-wing council. We were yeah. doing all kinds of really innovative things. Um, and it was a very non-hierarchical workplace and, and we were all pretty, you know, wild and activist and whatever. Um, so that's where I first heard the music because this friend, this colleague at work gave me a couple of albums to listen to and I took them home and I was just completely blown away. Um, they just felt really new and different and, and, and again, for me, the lyrics were really important because Morrissey's lyrics were were amazing. I mean, they were literary, they were funny, droll, yes. Yes. Uh, complex, um, depressive. Yeah, very sometimes. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the wrong mood, really bad. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's you. right. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but all of that combo of things really appealed to me. And I do remember seeing a, a, a music video of him. Um, it might have been a live performance. And he had this enormous sort of feathery tail coming out of the back of his pants and it was so weird and yeah. fabulous you know <laughs> I never got to see them live but boy I would have loved to have seen them so so the track that I've chosen is there is a light that never goes out yep the reason I chose that track is because it was in a way it became the soundtrack to my falling in love with Anna, my partner, who is still my partner today. Yeah, great. And and it just became it just became the soundtrack to our sort of crazy, really intense falling in love period. And and I, again, I have to quote the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, please do because yeah. they're great. Yeah, yeah. And and the bit that I, I remember we used to sing, you know, madly out loud was the bit where it goes, and if a double decker bus cra- crashes into us, to die by your side. Such a heavenly way to die. And if a 10-ton truck kills the both of us to die by your side, well, the pleasure and the privilege is mine. And now that might sound pretty weird thing to sort of quote, but when you're in love like that, actually, you know, it, it sort of was saying, this is such an explosion. If we, if this ex- if, if we just go out and bang, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So long as we're together. Yeah. And the way he sings that as well, it's, it's quite elegant and... Dainty. It's actually one of his more, well, their more jaunty tracks in a way. It's not too down. Yeah, so it's that contrast yeah. is interesting. Well, the 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 the, the lyrics are quite down because he talks about I can never go home and you know I'm not wanted there anymore and all of that. And it's and there's a lot of changes. Yeah, in, a lot yeah. of changes of mood almost and changes of rhythm and whatever in in. In it, but it's got a propulsive energy. Yes, and um, and then that last section where it goes, there is a light that never goes out. There is a, you know, and, and then they repeat that. It gets repeated and repeated. I don't know. It's just, yeah. I, I can't. I can never really analyze this. I don't feel I can analyze songs very well. But what it, what it, the journey it takes you through is just fantastic. Mm. You know. I think ultimately it's an upbeat track, like yeah. especially for the Smiths, even though the lyrics are sort of, you know, cataclysmic yeah, in one exactly. way. You know. But they're in a, like a really positive mindset for them. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it, yeah. it's, especially for them, I'm like, yeah, this is, feels upbeat. Yeah, yeah. And it definitely, it, 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 
it just captured something for us about passion and the, what we were going through at the time. And really it was, I mean, I can say that now because here we are all these years later and we're still together. And when we met, it was absolutely instant. Yeah. And, and it, it just, it blew everything. I was actually in another relationship. And I mean, it right. just blew all that out of the yeah. water. What relationship? Yeah, I'm not exactly. in a relationship with yeah, them. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, and it, it, it ends, this top five anyway, ends in, in the 80s. Yeah. And I'm just sort of interested, what do you think generally about how much, how important is, is music in the early parts of our lives? Because it, it tends to get locked in and it's really hard-coded into our DNA so that it, there isn't always that much room often for stuff to come later to fill in those core ones, do you think? Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think, I think that's right. And, that, and this list really sort of is a testament to that in yeah. a way. Um, I've continued to listen to lots of different music, probably largely because Anna has such a, um, an appetite for new music and different music, and she's kept me sort of abreast of lots of, you know, other music. But, yeah. but the minute you asked me to do this, I, as I said earlier, this list just popped up. Yeah. So I think what you're saying about it being sort of coded in and, you know, is, is absolutely right. I mean, it's that pivotal period in your 20s and just into your 30s and maybe even starting in your teens, but probably your, tw- your 20s is the absolute core, I reckon. Mira, thank you for sharing. That was awesome. Well, what a pleasure. Thanks, Al. Now, remember, Mira's Spotify playlist is in the episode notes of the show. As I mentioned, this is the final one for the season. We'll be back for season two. So if you're keen to share your top fives, get in touch. This has been Songs in the Key of Life. Thanks for listening. What was the first album you ever bought? I think it was... I think it might have been a really early... Bob Dylan album, you know, the one with him on his own, sort of looking like he's about 18, gosh. What? Walking down the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Uh, yeah. What would that be? Freewheeling uh, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, maybe something or... like that. Because I didn't have access to... Like Mr. Tambourine phase or... I can't, or... I can't even remember. And you know what? I think it was... A, a, it was, it was it, it, there was someone I knew who belonged to a record club. Right. And... and I didn't really have access to buying records um, because I was probably at boarding school at the time. Yeah. And she, I used to get – she would give me a list and I could sort of go, oh, yeah, what about that one? So I th- I'm pretty sure – I think it might have been Freewheel and Bob Dylan or something like that. I don't think I really even knew – I sort of only vaguely knew who Bob Dylan was, Great. actually. <laughs> I guess you know now. I do know now. <laughs> <laughs>